Welcome back to Baxi's Musical Podcast. Today, we're brought to you by Canna Provisions, an adult-use cannabis dispensary with the largest selection of cannabis products in western Massachusetts, with locations both in Holyoke and in Lee. They offer a warm, unique shopping experience with guides rather than bud tenders. In fact, they're not just another dispensary. They're a destination. Visit CannaProvisions.com. CannaProvisions.com. Adults 21, please, and please consume responsibly. And now, it's time for Baxi's Musical Podcast. It's Bexy's Musical Podcast. When I was a kid, I inherited my grandfather's guitar. I didn't know how to play it. I didn't know how to tune it. And I never took any lessons. But I would fiddle around on it all the time, trying to figure out where to put my fingers, and how to make the music come out of it. I was also left-handed, so I was learning to play completely upside down and out of tune. In other words, I was much better off playing the drums, which is why I'm in such awe of a guy like my guest today, guitarist, keyboardist, vocalist, Mike Keneally. Now, if you're not familiar with Mike's work, let me see if I can sum it up briefly for you. Mike Keneally was discovered by the late Frank Zappa. Mike Keneally's first professional gig was playing with Frank Zappa, where he was hired as the replacement for Steve Vai in 1988. And when Steve Vai was looking for someone to reimagine his best solo work on guitar for piano, he hired Mike Keneally to rearrange his songs and play them on a piano as a guitar player. Steve Vai and Joe Santriani would both take Mike Keneally on the road because of his extraordinary talents as a guitar player and a keyboardist and as an arranger of music. His career would take him in and out of various side projects with a list of collaborators like Frank Zappa's son Dweezil, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and get a load of this, a brilliant 2012 collaboration with Andy Partridge from XTC called Wing Beat Fantastic. So, of course, immediately I became interested in Mike Keneally's career. Mike has released 15 solo records, toured around the world, and is now traveling with a group called The Zappa Band. All Frank Zappa alums. In fact, Mike and the band are coming to Race Street Live in Holyoke on June 14th. Mike Keneally is an outstanding musician on every single level. And so it was a real pleasure to speak to the amazing Mike Keneally on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, Mike, how are you? Good. How are you doing, man? Very good. How are you feeling? I saw on Twitter that you posted that you had tested positive. You healing yeah. or getting through it? Uh, uh, both of those things. This this is uh, my 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 first uh, my first experience with this uh, exciting bit of business, and, and uh, yeah, I'm 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 doing okay. I'd say as of a couple of days ago, things started getting pretty darn bearable. Having been through it, and I've said this before, but uh, the last thing I want to do is get it a second time. So one and done for me. I hope it's the same <laughs> exactly. for you. I- I feel like I've learned my lesson here. Yeah. So uh, the, the Zappa Band is coming to uh, Ray Street Live at uh, Gateway City Arts in Holyoke on uh, June 14th. This is a very, very cool tour that you guys have got put together. You're coming to um, the Narrows and Fall River on the 24th. And it's all Frank Zappa alums. I don't know how else you describe it, but tell us about uh, about the band and with all the other things that you've got going on in your life, why you decided to to do this tour with these guys. Well, the 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 band was uh, was formed 
uh, it was, well, we were we were kind of put together. It was this. It all started uh, a few years ago when Amit had the idea to do the the bizarre world of of Frank Zappa, which came to be known as the hologram tour, but actually was was a lot more than that. And uh, the, the people who weren't uh, you know terrified by the idea of, of the, the word hologram, if the, if they came out to see the shows, they they found that it was actually a, a very you know, very varied experience with a lot of different kinds of visuals, not just a, you know, a simulation of Frank, although that aspect of it was amazingly well done, but there was a lot of other stuff that was going on there too. And we were the band for, for that. And so, you know, that, that tour came to an end. It was an amazing tour. A lot of people, you know, the people that actually did come out to see it were generally very moved by it. It was a, you know, a, a huge experience to be a part of, but it's, it was also very expensive, uh, uh, enterprise to, to to move around with all the technology and the people required to run it. So once that was done, and uh, and we started just like realizing how much we enjoyed playing that music again, because uh, like in the case of, of Robert, uh, I hadn't played with him since 1988, and uh, Scott Tunis I had had played with only on isolated occasions. Ray White I'd never played with at all. So for us all, for all of us to connect over this music that we love so much and you know once again kind of feel the the, the power of what frank had, had created it was it was sort of addictive and we decided to book some some uh, club gigs we played at the the baked potato in los angeles uh just a small jazz club and uh, amit came out to see us there and amit understandably was was real interested in trying to uh extend this this bizarre world of frank zappa uh, enterprise, uh, but he also acknowledged that it was a, a very, uh, a very expensive proposition to do so. And, and when he just saw us in, in a club playing the songs, he realized that you know this is this works very effectively as sort of an ambassador for Frank's music, which is you know Amit's interest is to, is to keep the music alive and, and keep it out in front of people, and. Uh, and so he you know, basically gave the band uh, his blessing, the, the, the official imprimatur of the, the Zappa Trust to, to go out and, and keep performing as the, the Zappa band. Then this dang old pandemic happened and, and we didn't play for a couple of years. Uh, but then last year, we had the opportunity to go out on the road opening for, uh, for King Crimson for what mm. turned out to be their, what's likely to be their final tour in, in, in the US. So that was a privilege. To, to be there for that experience. And then you know, just, when you're playing playing any music, but especially music that, that's this intricate and really requires you to just occupy every every aspect of it to deliver it properly, there's no substitute for just going out and playing it night after night after night. That's the, that's the way to, to really play the songs properly. So to go out on the road with Crimson and, and be you know, delivering that music to audiences every night was very powerful for us, and it turned out to be powerful for the audience. I, I even think it was powerful for Crimson. They, they, you know, they, uh, they expressed to us that they thought it was a, a very powerful night of music, and they appreciated the fact that we were there. So it, it, it felt like something, well, we just need to do this. <laughs> um, even though, as you say, we all have a bunch of other stuff going on. I figured out last night, I'm, I think I'm in eight bands right now. Um, but I, uh, it's whenever it's possible, to get out on the road with the Zappa band, we all want to do it. Mostly because we love the music so much, but also we love one another. And and we know that the audiences who love Frank's music are, are craving this stuff. 
So we, we want to get out and deliver, you know? So I, I, we're excited because this June tour, even though it's a relatively short tour, this will be the first time that we're ever, that we're, that we're going out there as a headline act, which means we can, we can you know, just relax a bit more and, and stretch out and not have to worry as much about hitting a timetable. With, with, with Crimson, we had 45 minutes exactly. If we went over, yeah. we're, we're just done. And these are, these uh, are pretty intimate venues. These, I mean, these are very small, intimate clubs. It's a great environment to see music like this. I mean, not every musician can play Frank Zappa's music. Not every musician you know, goes on to play with King Crimson, although they've had just about every other musician to play in that band. <laughs> But I mean, you know, to, to see that in that environment, I think is, is just a really wonderful experience. Well, you definitely people will be feeling the music as well as hearing it. You know, yeah. it, it, it's like there's, you're not going to be able to get away from it. Uh, so, yeah, to be in that kind of environment with this group of guys executing this stuff, it, 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 I think it's going to be uh, equally powerful for everybody. Last year, I had a chance to, uh, to interview uh, Adrian Ballou, who also played with, uh, with Frank for a while. And it's, it's funny to me because every time, and many years ago, I, I, I interviewed uh, Steve Vai, too, and, and we'll talk more about Steve in a little bit. But it seems that everyone who has ever played with Frank Zappa has got a Frank Zappa story about how they got involved with Frank Zappa. I know your story is no different, but it's, it's such a great story. How did you come to Frank's attention? I, I, I literally I called up his office and asked for a job. <laughs> And I had no professional music experience of any kind. I was I was 25 years old. This was late 1987, and I had, I had heard from his uh, his hotline 818 Pumpkin that that he was back in rehearsal with a new group, which was a, a very significant piece of information because after his 1984 tour, he had sworn he was never going to go on the road again. It was right. too expensive. It was it was just like it was too. It's just he wasn't gaining enough from the experience, and he was losing a lot. So he said, that's it. No more touring. And then, you know, and after two and a half years uh, in his basement studio with his uh, Sinclair uh, making computer music, which, you know, as a composer, he loved because the computer, the computer didn't do drugs and it didn't show up late for rehearsal and, and it, 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 it played his music accurately every time he pressed the button. But uh, it also didn't, uh, you know, surprise him. It didn't make him laugh unexpectedly the way he put it in his autobiography was, you know, the computer gave me everything I required from it. But uh, unlike Ike Willis, it wouldn't just you know, say we're Beatrice in the middle of a song and crack me up, you know. <laughs> so so he, he started getting the bug for playing with musicians again. And so one day I called up the, the hotline uh, 818 Pumpkin and it said, for those of you who have heard the rumors, it's true. Uh, Frank is back in, in rehearsal with a new group. And my first thought was, oh, cool, I get to see another show. And then I, I, you know, I delved a little deeper and said, you know what, this is probably going to be, you know, it's always been my dream to play with Frank's, for, to play with Frank's band. From the time I was like nine years old, I wanted to be in the Frank's band. So I'd, I better take this shot, even though it's completely out of left field and I don't have a hope in hell. So I, I called up his office and, and Fortunately for me, the, the guy who answered the phone, whose name is Jerry Fialka and still is, uh, believed me when I said uh, that I, you know, I, I don't know if you're looking, I don't know if Frank's looking for anybody, but I'm, I play guitar and keyboard and I sing and I can, I've taught myself a lot of Frank's music and I'm familiar with all of it. Uh, it's like the most important music in the world to me. And uh, I don't know if Frank's looking for anybody with these qualifications, but if he is, I'm here. 
And then Frank called me up the next day and said, what, what are you talking about? You can play all my music. And I said, well, you know, I, I can play a lot of it. I've showed myself a lot of these songs and, and I'm familiar with all of it. You know, I listened to it nonstop. And, and he goes, you know how many songs that is? And I said, yeah, they're all in the next room. And he said, I don't believe you. Get your ass up here and prove it. You know, that was, that was precisely his orders to me. And then he, uh, he told me a couple of songs that he wanted me to learn, both of which were really hard, one of which I knew. <laughs> And the other one I had to show myself right away, which is a song called What's New in Baltimore. So I like sat down and started trying to figure out this, this naughty thing. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and uh, the next day, my, my brother drove me up from uh, San Diego to Los Angeles while I sat in the back of the car for three hours trying to play every Frank Zappa song <laughs> in, in the back of the car in three hours. Uh, and then I walked into the rehearsal studio with the guitar in my hand. And the first thing Frank said was, hey, nice case. And, uh, and he, uh, and then he just put me through my paces, you know, he, he tested me to see if what I said was true. So he would name a song. And even if it was a song I had never played before, I'd say, okay, give me a minute. And I would just like push the button and the jukebox in my head because every Frank Zappa song lived there. And I'd listen to it and I'd start you know, playing along with the song in my head. And, and, and Frank, you know, he, I think he just like got a kick out of that aspect of it. You know, he saw that this was a resource that he could rely on. I think especially at one point, you know, if that was many playing guitar, but then he put me on a keyboard and he wanted to check my reading, which I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really a formally trained musician. Most of what I know, basically everything I know about contemporary music or modern you know, rock music or anything like that, or weird uh, experimental music is from listening to records and teaching myself stuff. <laughs> so he put, he put a chart for the song Strictly Genteel uh, the piano part, and then he sat me down at a, a Yamaha DX7, which is already not the most uh, forgiving keyboard to play a grand piano part. And then, and then he said, uh, "Okay, play that." And you know, I knew my reading was not going to impress him, but I also knew that I had the song in my head, so I'm squinting at the chart and I'm playing the song from memory. <laughs> and Frank, Frank couldn't really read any better than I could, even though he had written the stuff. So he's, he's looking at the chart and he's looking at my fingers and he's, his head's going back and forth. And he goes, well, wait a minute, wait, are you, are you reading that? Or are you just playing it by ear? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm playing it by ear. And his you know, eyebrow went way up, perceptibly up. So then he just shook my hand and he said, okay. And at, at this point, the band wasn't there. It was just me and him and, and uh, one other guy, named, uh, Bob Rice, who was his Sinclair technician. So he shook my hand and said, well, you come back on Monday so the rest of the band can witness your particular splendor. And uh, which is, you know, the precise quote, because I remember it word for word. And, and, uh, and, uh, and that was it. You know, I, I, I came back in in a couple of days and I had to pass the band audition. And particularly, I had to pass the Scott Tunis audition, which was a lot more challenging than the Frank audition in some ways. Um, but, you know, uh, after a certain amount of time went by, it was just you know, clear that that uh, that I was in the band. So, but it, I still can't believe it happened. <laughs> I mean, your I mean, your first real professional gig is playing with Frank Zappa. That that doesn't happen to anybody. And and I mean, at what point do you stop pinching yourself and and say, you, you, you know, what am I doing here? I'm playing with like, Frank I, Zappa. I, I continued pinching myself throughout the tour. You know, it's, it's like I, there were times where. He was playing a guitar solo, particularly in the song Inca Roads, because while he was doing his guitar solo, I didn't have anything else to do. You know, every every guitar solo had a specific setting. Uh, you know, there there are times where certain members of the band are playing, and there are times where certain members of the band are not playing, given what that solo's uh, 
environment requires. And I and the the environment for the Inca Road solo was very stripped down. It was basically just uh, you know Robert on keyboard, Scott on bass, Chad on drums, uh, maybe occasional punctuations from Ed on the percussion, and everybody else is just sitting out. So and that's that song is so iconic, and that that the, that setting is is so classic. So that would be a moment where frequently I would just sit there and have to like. You know, control my breathing so as not to <laughs> hyperventilate. It's like I can't really believe that I'm here right now. So, because I'm, you know, I'm still a fan. I will remain a fan. And at, at times like that, it just felt like I, you know, had the most amazing suit in the house. You know, you were only, you know, with that band for a short period of time before he, you know, took it off the road. But in writing your own music and composing your own, your own stuff, what did you learn from Frank, you know, musically, or, or maybe just as a as a composer, because, you know, he was unlike anybody else in, in the rock genre. I mean, he, he really was a maverick all to himself. And when I hear your music, I hear shades of the complexity of those songs and clearly something stuck with you. What, what do you, what do you see was like the, the thing that lasted with you from Frank? Well, I, I, you know, I certainly was affected in the same way that a lot of, of, people who went through the band were affected when, when they start putting out their own music, which is the early music is really heavily indebted to Frank. Like for instance, if you listen to flexible by Steve Vai, hmm. it, it, you know, there are aspects of that record that really, you know, feel like Zappa Jr. And, and, uh, and it's the same thing. If you listen to my first album hatch, which is the only album of mine that Frank actually got to hear uh, uh, is the, the debt, uh, to Frank is is so clear on that record, uh, with the, you know, the sped up vocals and the 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 nonstop segueing from song to song, uh, you know, long, extremely elaborate pieces and these tiny little punctuation pieces, and 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 then just the you know the the, the fabric and the content of the songs themselves, harmonically, melodically, it's it, it's so it it sinks so deep into you not even just as a member of the band. I, I had it coming from both directions. I had no hope because I grew up a, a huge fan mm. and then I was in the band. So I was inspired by him just just as, you know, as music and as a, as a figurehead in a way. And then I got in the, in the band and I became inspired by the way he put music together and the way he used the resources available and what he drew out of the musicians that he had. And once he saw what a musician could accomplish, he was not interested in accepting less than that. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, you can do that? Okay, now do this much more. And that's, that's so I, I was always interested in trying to challenge myself in the same way that Frank challenged me. Yeah. Because once I got in the, in the band, I was like, oh my God, now I'm in for it. I have to actually play all this stuff. And there were times where he would throw me apart that I would think, oh, I can't do this. This is impossible. But it, the same thing happened with Steve I when I got in his band. It's like, I have to play Steve's guitar parts in unison with him. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> um, but you just do it, you know, it's like you practice, you practice, you practice. And, and then the next thing you know, you've expanded your horizons, your abilities. You have, uh, you know, proven that you're capable of more than you thought you were. It's a refusal to fail. And, right. that, and, and, and that sticks with me with, with every gig that I've done ever since, because I've, I've played with a bunch of guys, Steve, um, Brendan Small, when I was in uh, Death Clock, uh, having to play these, you know, these brutal metal things that were not necessarily a part of my skill set, I said to him, "I'm not a metal guitar player. Why do you want me in this band?" He goes, "You know, 
dude, you, you play with Frank Zappa, you can play anything. What are you talking about? Just do this. <laughs> so then, you know, you learn how to go burr, 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 and, and just like do things that you didn't think you had the stamina to do. And same thing when I was playing with, with Devin Townsend, you're, you're given a, a, you're given a task and you either do it or, you know, you might find yourself not having a gig anymore. So it's, it's like, I, I was, it was always just refusal to fail. So I, I think that that's kind of where I was at with my own music once I started doing it. But then over time, you know, the, you, you realize you don't want to just keep making music that sounds so much like anybody else, much less, you know, this, this guy who obviously had everything to do with, with getting my career off the ground. Um, you know, at, at a certain point, it just becomes like embarrassing in a way to sound so much like them. So you, you start, you know, letting your other influences in. And I was always hugely influenced by the Beatles and XTC and uh, Miles Davis and John Coltrane and They Might Be Giants and Joni Mitchell and all this stuff that is just amazing uh, that I started, you know, wanting to filter more of their influence through. And then this, this soup just started to, to brew. And, uh, and, I, and after a while, I think it just started to sound more like me. Uh, but I, I, undoubtedly, there's always going to be a, a strong influence from Frank in there because he, in some ways, was the strongest uh, influence of all on, on what I did. And, and he meant so much to me when I was growing up. He's yeah. such a significant figure in my life. I read uh, that your first musical instrument was the Magnus Chord Organ. And uh, I had one of those as a kid. And I freaking loved it. And uh, it's great. Actually, it's so great. It, it's it was great. I was I will I was shitty at it, but I but I loved it. But I I saw one on eBay the other day for as little as twenty four bucks, and I thought, where is the Steve Vai Magnus Organ Reduction album? When when is when is that going to come out? He writes uh, he writes chords that uh, that don't show up on those buttons on the left <laughs> side. You know, it's it's it's, it's a pretty uh, limited palette, but. For me, those buttons were uh, were just an entire universe. You know, I learned uh, what major chords sounded like, what minor chords sounded like, what seventh chords sounded like, what augmented chords sounded like, what diminished chords sounded like. They're all there and they're all labeled. Yeah. You just you know you push a button and you get the chord, and then you start like getting excited about the combinations. You know, I I, I think that that really is what like put the idea of chord progressions in my head was just going from button to button and seeing what it, what what it felt like. You know, because music makes you feel things. Music is, music is not like just a series of techniques. Music is not the talent required to play it. Music is sound in the way sound affects people. So I th that's that's what my relationship with that organ is. It's just like <laughs> really getting affected by sound. It's a it, it's an instrument that's been uh, long forgotten. May needs to be uh, revived for twenty four bucks. I think maybe you're the guy to do it. <laughs> I think I think you might be right about that. <laughs> If I did we find ourselves bidding against each other. We'll, we'll know what happened. <laughs> I, I did want to ask you about the Steve Vai stuff, the reduction, uh, the piano reductions, volume one. Had a chance to listen to it over the last couple of days. And I mean, as I'm listening to it, I'm going, how did you arrange any of this stuff? Because, I mean, Steve Vai is Steve Vai. And I, I, I know you as, as a guitar player. I don't necessarily think of you as as a as a keyboard player but your interpretation of these songs was really remarkable that could not have been an easy thing to do um it wasn't it, it, it to this day i think re remains the, uh, the the hardest single project i've been a part of which is why after after spending years uh 
uh, trying to prepare for a second volume of, of, <laughs> of piano reductions, I, I realized I'm never going to have the time. Uh, and I, I, uh, I went to Steve and he, uh, he uh, very magnanimously uh, uh, released me from, from that obligation. Although I, I did end up doing several arrangements for a second album. Um, but it was, you know, he, he just gave me a list of songs and then gave me my 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 head to do uh, whatever I, I wanted to. So it it, it was it was just about uh, it was all very gut uh, decisions, very very instinctive responses for each song. I, I would say, do I want to just present this in a very sort of almost verbatim fashion and play exactly what he wrote the way he wrote it, or am I going to experiment and and uh, reharmonize things? And, and go off and, and the, the first one that I took on was because I couldn't I couldn't wait to dig my, my fingers into it was uh, was Salamanders in the Sun which mm. uh, uh, was at the time my favorite Vi composition might still be it's just a beautiful song and I thought that it was one that really lent itself to to some creative reharmonizing of the melody so I just went off the charts literally way off the charts uh, in, in, in terms of uh, the, the chord progressions and, and the settings for, for the melody in that song. And then at that point, it's just about, I hope, I hope Steve doesn't mind, you know, because I had to spend <laughs> weeks and weeks uh, coming up with this new arrangement and I was living in San Diego. So the process was I would be sitting in, in my house in San Diego coming up with these uh, arrangements. And then I would, uh, I would go drive up to Los Angeles and play them for him. And, uh, and if he approved, then I would go back down to, to San Diego to a recording studio that, that had a very beautiful Yamaha grand. And, uh, and we were recording on, on analog tape. So I would do multiple takes of the song uh, and, uh, and then bring the tapes back up to Steve. And then he would transfer the tape to digital and, and he would uh, edit from, from one take to another. You know, he would say, just give me multiple renditions so that he could, uh, he could then uh, piece together what he considered to be the, the ideal performance from the different performances that I did. And, uh, and I would not, I would like, I delivered him the entire tapes and the, and the tapes contained a number of uh, incomplete uh, takes where I would make a mistake and loudly swear at the, <laughs> at the piano. So, you know, he would be, you know, listening and blissing out on, on whatever I was doing. And then I would screw up and go, and what he ended up doing was snipping out every time I swore at the piano and, and making this edit uh, collage of, of all of these things, which he has, uh, he has uh, threatened to release. Oh, release he, he should have included that in the album. What a, what a great I bonus track that would have been. Track. Maybe, you know, back in those days, sometimes you would have to rewind before the first track. <laughs> like the Beatles inner groove. It never ends. It's just Mike oh, Keneally yeah. continuing <laughs> to. So, exactly. <laughs> Actually, you know, the, the the interesting part about that album for me is you know, I'm, I, I have to believe, you know, Steve Vai had to have an incredible amount of trust in you because it would have been very easy to give to, to put that project in the hands of someone who could, you know, turn it into something that sounded very derivative or you, you, you just, uninteresting. And that's absolutely not what you did. I mean, you really poured a lot into that and, and to have him release it and, you know, put your, his stamp of approval on it must've taken a lot of trust on his part. Cause I, I don't, I don't know of too many guys that would have been as dutiful to those songs and have added as much as you did. Well, I think, uh, 
I think that's true. And, and that was one of the, the most moving aspects of that, that project for me is that he, he did place that trust in me. And then when I, and it was validating also because I would you know come up with these arrangements. I would, I would go up to LA and play them for him and he would have input, but in, in, you know, in, for the most part, his, his input was, was very gentle and, and not too transformative in terms of, of what I was coming up with. He liked the ideas that I was coming up with. So that was great. He, he pretty much just left me to it. And then he was able to, you know, he, he was able to impose his, his will uh, once I had delivered him multiple takes of songs and then he could choose what his favorite parts of each performance were and, and, and combine them, uh, with, which was amazing for me to finally hear it back and go, geez, did I, I guess I played that, you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's still to this day when I, when I hear it, that it, it was, it was just like a lot of, of, of of effort, but it was love, you know, that, that, that went into that project. It was, it was really something. <laughs> I saw this, uh, great video on YouTube the other day. You're, uh, you're working on a song with the, uh, the Metropole Orchestra in Holland. And the video is, uh, is you kind of on the spot improvising a couple of bars. And all of a sudden, by the end of the video, everybody in this band is playing off this brief. You know, I don't know how many, you know, how long the, uh, how long it was, but they're, they're they're adding to it and composing a song extemporaneously completely by I- improvisation and by the end of it it sounds like this well composed jazz song i mean it, tell me about i mean obviously that's not how you normally compose music or 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 is it how much improvisation is involved in how you write because i thought it was a re- well, that was, was really amazing to see that was the, the the specific brief for that project which was you know the result of the 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 uh, the executive producer of those sessions was a, a Dutch uh, radio producer named Ko de Kloot, who was responsible for me getting the the orchestral uh, uh, commission for a piece called uh, The Universe Will Provide, which was a, a completely composed uh, lengthy piece for orchestra and guitar. And then he had to come back a couple years later and he said, okay, for this time, I want you to compose on the spot for, for you know, a smaller group of musicians. It was an 11 piece group as opposed to the 50 piece orchestra. And so, you know, and, and I was like, I was specifically told don't write anything until you get there. So I, I was, it was, it was, you know, it was improvisational in the sense that all composition is in the way because all composition just starts with, with an idea that you come up with in the moment. It just so happens that most of that improvisation happens away from anybody watching and recording you. <laughs> but in this instance, I had the musicians already there. So it was like, okay, give me a sec. I'll write a melody. And so I wrote a melody and I would play that. And I'd say, okay, you play it. Uh, and then uh, let's, okay, here, we need a harmony to that. Okay, you play this. We need to figure out a harmony that needs some chords. So it, it was just about you know, stepping slowly through a composition on the spot. And then you know, fleshing it out with a couple of solo sections and, and, and then say, okay, now we go back and repeat this bit. And it's, it's, it was, you know, similar to a lot of composition where you just like, you have to sit and make these choices, but what was different about it was doing it on the spot with a bunch of people watching uh, <laughs> and having the process recorded at the same time. Um, and actually there was a second uh, composed piece uh, that, that came out of that session called Ack which uh, was not released at the time, but I'm, I'm finally putting it out on my next album. So there's, there's going to be a, a, a second album that was, I mean, a second song that was created uh, using the same method. Um, it was it was great fun. That that particular song, the one that's in that video, which is called Chi, I, I did end up releasing on an album called Scambot One. 
So it's, uh, it's, and, and it's actually a really nice piece, you know? So I'm grateful to Co for like putting, for placing that challenge on me. And, and I've, I don't think I've ever done anything quite like that again, but it was, you know, it was validating to realize that you could come up with, with a, a nice piece of music. But of course it also helps to have amazing musicians who were, were able to like, the first of all, they had the patience to just sit there while I was coming up with stuff. but. I was also grateful that I, you know, I had no choice. The, the the challenge was to come up with something right then. So I didn't have I didn't have the choice to like second guess decisions much. It was just like write something right now, uh, write some sort of accompaniment to it. Okay, that's done. Now write the next section. You know, it was it was it was just this very quick thing, and within a couple of hours, we had a couple of songs. It was really fun. I meant to uh, to bring this down. It's the CD I have is upstairs, and you mentioned XTC um, a while ago. I have a copy of uh, Wingbeat Fantastic that you did with Andy Partridge from 2012, I think it was. And, and I'm a huge XTC fan, huge Andy Partridge fan. And you know, th- you know, there's another guy who, in a way, like Frank Zappa, although you know they're very different composers and songwriters, but is a guy who has a very own unique way of 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 writing music, seeing music. Uh, in in visuals and uh, and then applying it to whatever you know whatever musical score he is looking to do at the time it's an amazing way of 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 working tell me about that record and and, and writing with him and, and what you learn from a guy like that there had to be an education there too well yeah especially i mean i i, I when i first started hearing xtc in the 80s it was at a time where there was like a lot of you know 80s music was 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 a lot of it was like really uh, computerized uh, mechanized sounding uh and, and and it felt like as somebody who always was appreciative of of song craft and i always loved uh you know todd rundgren's music and uh, just, just I, I and the beatles for that matter just like pop songs that had a lot of strong harmonic content interesting chord progressions you know, coming out of the, the Magnus chord organ uh, background <laughs> and, and then beautiful melodies, you know, and then, you know, interesting lyrics too. So I was grateful in the 80s when I started, you know, finding isolated uh, musicians that seemed to like pop up out of the, the, the fabric of the time. And I, I remember uh, seeing the Senses Working Overtime video on MTV and just going, man, this is really, stand- this stands apart from first of all it was acoustic guitar based and and that that wasn't something i was hearing a lot of at the time and the sound of his voice just grabbed me it was the moment i heard him go hey hey whoa what's going on here <laughs> and then as the song progressed and it was like going through all these different sections with you know ge- genuine interesting chord changes and modulations from section to section and, and building and, and building on top of it building and, yeah, yeah and 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 by the time it finally got to that last chorus like, one two three <laughs> four five a holy this is amazing um it really grabbed i'm like i'm getting chills thinking about it and and so fast forward a few years and and i'm on the road with zappa and scott tunis the bass player is as, as huge as an xtc fan as i am he uh he, we were in England doing a series of shows with Frank, and he calls up Virgin Records and extends the invitation to, uh, he, he said, hi, I'm Scott Tunis with the Zappa Band. I just wanted to let uh, you know if you could pass on to the members of, I was in the hotel room when he made this call. <laughs> uh, if you could pass on to the members of XTC, they're all cordially invited to you know, any Frank Zappa show that we do while we're in the UK. And at the time, I thought it was like, 
this is like a practical joke. You might as well be <laughs> ordering pizzas to be delivered to their doorstep. You know, there's no way Andy, who's you know had years before given up live performance, and, and you know, he didn't uh, at that point refuse even you know, leaving his his home. There's no way that 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 Andy's going to show up at the show. Well, in Birmingham, uh, Andy Partridge and Dave Gregory came out to the show, and and we were astonished to just see them there. And they were so generous, and they 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 loved the show, and we hung out backstage and. Holy cow! This is you know Andy and Dave, and they're just guys, you know. And 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 uh, and they said, "Well, we're going to be in Los Angeles making a new album in a few months. You should come hang out." Okay, so uh, you know they, when they were making uh, oranges and lemons, uh, Tunis and I were in the studio just like hanging out as much as we could. You know, so I, I watched them make the record, which is to me was as significant as if uh, the Beatles had said, "Hey, we're about to make this this record called Sergeant Pepper. If you want to drop by." You know, it was it was right. an amazing thing. Uh, so we all became friends at that point, and you know, I would stay in touch with Andy through the years. And neither of us can remember which one of us suggested we try writing together. Finally, you know, twenty years later or whatever. But it was yeah, it was two thousand six where I, I finally went over to to his house in the UK for a week, and then two years later I went back and did it again, and we just put together a series of songs and and. Uh, it, I I was like, I was sort of like his modeling clay. Like he, he would say, okay, give me a chord. And I would say, all right. And I would play a chord. He goes, uh, change that one note. And I'm, okay. And then he goes, okay, now for this next chord, just move up, move up a bit. And then I would play two chords and he'd say, hmm, those two chords together make me think of blah. And then that would be like the topic for that song. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. He, the, the, what really gets me about Frank is how you know, synesthesia, where, where you, you uh, music is not just music, it, it, it suggests colors, it can suggest, you know, feelings in a very specific way. Uh, Andy's that way more than anybody else I've ever worked with. Uh, and then his ability to write lyrics is just so enviable, you know, yeah. if you give him a topic like ants, the song across this <laughs> ant, okay, write a song about ants, he, he will then approach the topic of ants from every possible angle and, and brilliantly and with wit and, 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 it's, and it's moving, you know, it's, it's like he, he, he tickles your brain and your heart at the same time and all this stuff. And at the same time, the, 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 uh, the content of the, of the music is, is so, like he always said he wanted to make records that were so good they hurt. <laughs> and I completely, completely resonated with that. And I, I, I've actually tried to do the same thing with my own albums. Uh, so I, I just related to Andy on so many levels. It was an amazing thing to write songs with him. And uh, we've, we've discussed doing it again now that we're 10 years out from the release of that album. It seems like it's, it's time to do it again. It's just about making the time. For it. I've interviewed him, Colin, and Dave Gregory now. And because, uh, you know, why not? And uh, I, <laughs> I'm talking to Andy, and you know, we're, we're we're discussing some songs, and you know, I, I mean, in my head, I know, okay, this guy hasn't performed live since 1982, and it didn't end well, and we're talking, and and all he says, oh, hold on, let me get my guitar, and he pulls out his guitar and he starts playing, and I'm like, holy shit, Andy Partridge just playing a concert for me, and I just thought yeah. like it was like the coolest thing, and and yeah. uh, and, and it's 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 that kind of the synesthesia thing I just find so interesting. It's like, you know, how does a guy look, how does he express music like that? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a wiring issue in his mind, but you know, if there's, well, it's, I mean, it's that, it's that way with every musician, every, every musician has their own unique uh, uh, way in which they, they 
interrelate with the act of music making. Um, but when when you uh, come into contact with somebody who's just you know clearly touched by some form of design, divine inspiration, even though Andy would uh, would you know would bridle with that description, <laughs> of it, um, it's it's humbling, you know, yeah. and it, and it's it it it's uh, it feels like a gift to be able to to work and create with somebody like. You mentioned that uh, you're working on a, a new album or that you have an album in the works. Tell me about uh, how far into it you are and, and, and when you expect to be releasing something. It's uh, and, and it, I, I'd always I mean, I put together a lot of material and Andy actually was it was a huge help with it because he's, he's obviously has become quite masterful at home recording. And, and he's become he's, he's got a certain amount of justifiable pride in his uh, in his mixing chops, his engineering chops. So he's like, well, send me your mixes as you're doing them. Because I put together a new home rig after, once the pandemic was underway. I mean, obviously, I wasn't going to be doing gigs, so I had to do something. So I put together a very basic uh, home uh, studio setup, and, and uh, as I was, you know, coming to terms with what it meant to actually mix, uh, because I always relied on other engineers to mix things well. Um, I was sending my my mixes in progress to Andy, and he was just absolutely selfless with his time. Uh, and I ended up with. The, a completed first disc because I still think in terms of physical product, um, and and I, and a bunch of material towards the second disc. But I you know now that we're gigging again, now that you know everyone's leaving their homes, uh, I I you know I my time to complete the second disc has, has been radically shortened. <laughs> so now I'm thinking I don't want to make the first disc wait for the second disc to be done. So I'm actually having a conversation this week with uh, the with Scott Chaffee, who uh, runs the, the record label we have called XOX, uh, to decide what what to do about the first disc, which is actually this perfectly serviceable standalone nine song, forty two minute complete album statement. And I, I think we're going to find some way to release just the, the first album sometime in the in the next couple of months. Uh, it's I'm very, I'm very happy with it, and you know, the response from people who I've, I've played it for has, has been very, uh, has been validating, which means a lot since it's the first album that I've that I've put out as a, a, a self-contained pandemic era <laughs> album maker. So uh, you know, we're, we're not ready to announce a release date yet, but there's definitely something. But it's coming. coming. But. Well, um, I think I might have to run because I, I was supposed to start another interview about ten minutes ago. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, my listen, it's it's my pleasure to talk to you, and 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 best of luck with the Zappa Band. Can't wait for the new record. And again, you're coming to uh, Holyoke on June 14th, and at the Narrows and Fall River on the 24th. Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I th- I appreciate it too. Thank you very much. So there you go, the ridiculously talented Mike Keneally. I hope you like the show. If you do, please share it, rate it, tell all your friends, subscribe to it. You can reach me at Bax at rock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. Thanks again to Canna Provisions for their support, and you can support them in Holyoke and in Lee, Massachusetts, or at cannaprovisions.com. And thanks again for joining us on Baxi's Musical Podcast.